Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing two very connected TV shows on Netflix. There's Narcos that started in 2015 and basically finished after three seasons. And then after that, we have Narcos Mexico that went from 2018 to 2021, a total of six series about drug trafficking in either Central or Southern America. Using real examples, people like Pablo Escobar and El Chapo, all these sorts of people, and sort of telling their stories. These are very adult TV shows. And for the record, in case anybody's worried, I am going to be looking at the history of various narcotics, but purely from a historical point of view. I'm not going to be going through any of the paraphernalia, and I'm certainly not going to be going through the more graphic things that some of these drug cartels in the 20th and sadly 21st century have been doing. So we want to keep our clean rating here on this podcast, but I am going to be talking about a very adult subject, but tip towing around it as best as I possibly can, while still giving it the respect that it needs. So, the story of these kind of adult, dark dramas, as everybody knows, starts with The Sopranos, an amazing TV series on HBO, and for a while, it was HBO or nothing. Indeed, they had the headline for a while, this isn't TV, this is HBO. And, you know, they had just hit after hit, perhaps culminating with Game of Thrones, which at least for its sort of first five, six seasons, everybody was talking about, almost nobody had any complaints about, and it just absorbed everybody. But if you like, just as HBO was could do no wrong and would like hoover up things like Golden Globes and Emmys and things like that, Netflix was just getting into its stride. It was spending small fortunes on TV shows, prestige, drama, like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. And those did well, but they wanted to sort of keep going, keep pushing. And clearly HBO had the dominance. If you like, those were the only two cards that Netflix early on had to play. Things have obviously changed over the last, let's say, seven, eight years. 
So, Narcos, therefore, is very much an adult drama aimed at the sorts of people who would enjoy or at least be interested in things like The Wire or Sopranos or Boardwalk Empire, etc. Because this was a dramatization. you know, there's only so much they can actually pack in in terms of the complexities of all this stuff, limited amounts of cast, etc., so dramatization in the first one, Narcos, specifically around Pablo Escobar and the quest to try and bring him down. But you saw a lot of it from Pablo's point of view. And the great thing about both these shows is they did a great job of highlighting the, the just the huge depth and wealth of Hispanic Latin American, Spanish sometimes, actors that could bring so much to the screen. Big shout out to Wagner Mura, who plays Pablo Escobar. He looks scarily like Pablo Escobar. He does a brilliant job of bringing that man back to life. But you've also got Pedro Pascal. Now, interestingly, he was also in Game of Thrones. But if you like the thing where people really first started paying attention to Pablo uh, just not Pablo Escobar, Pedro Pascal, too many P's basically going on, is him playing the detective. So he's basically, he's American, playing Peña. Again, way too many P's in this story. But he just looked cool, standing there in his jeans and his rolled up shirt with his aviators on and standing there with a gun in his hand. He just you know, everybody wanted to be Pedro Pascal at that time. But you also got Diego Luna, you know, Mr. Andor, if you like. He obviously, he'd, he'd already done lots of big things, including Rogue One, but he plays in Narcos, Mexico, Felix Gallardo, who was basically a crime boss in Mexico. And also it's worth pointing out the ever-reliable Michael Peña, who quite often ends up playing sort of comedy roles in American movies. He actually plays Kiki, who is, again, an American agent, and he's a pivotal person in some of these stories. So Narcos Mexico, I should say. So we've got so much talent on screen, and they just don't shy away from the violence and the complexity of what's going on with these situations. This is one of these episodes where it's hard not to sort of jump straight into the history side of it rather than just talking about the shows. But it's one of these things where back in the 1990s, you just knew about Pablo Escobar. He was front page news and he's just a fascinating character because on the one hand, obviously this man is running a huge incredibly violent criminal enterprise at the time of his death his personal fortune was thought to be 30 billion dollars in modern money that's about 70 billion dollars and he's obviously paying no tax on that whatsoever it was one of these things and it, it, this is shown in the tv show that one of the problems about the drugs trade Getting the drugs, obviously, past security, that's problem number one. But problem number two is a kilo of drugs might be thousands of dollars and it's all cash. It's not something where you can start paying it into a bank because people are going to want to know how you got that money. So it's a very much cash heavy and tens of thousands of dollars turning into millions of dollars. You're talking about massive amounts of weight and size and bulk where do you put it all 
And so this is shown in the TV show, and this is a genuine thing. In the end, at some points, he was reduced to basically getting the money, putting it into stacks, putting it into bricks, wrapping it with plastic and burying it. But sometimes in the kind of monsoon rains that you get in parts of Colombia, you would have mudslides that would tear open these plastic wrappers and you'd literally have streams choked with $100 bills, which are all legal tender and local people would obviously run down and grab them. But of course, if you're seen as grabbing too many of these or indeed caught red-handed by the Medellin cartel founded by Pablo Escobar, bad things were going to happen to you and your family. So it just, it caused so much destabilization. And if anything... I'm going to say, if I have one criticism, it shows you how crazy things get, but things actually in real life got even crazier than that. A weird one is he created, Pablo Escobar created his own zoo. I mean, if you got that much money, I guess, why not? You might as well indulge everything. And so he created his own zoo, and when he was eventually taken down, who's going to run the zoo? And so there is a group of hippos that have, I mean, hippos, just so you know, are indigenous to the African continent, not the South American continent, but some of the conditions, the jungle-like watery conditions are perfect for hippos. But people generally don't like moving hippos around. They're dangerous. Weird fact, more people in Africa every year die from hippo attack than die from crocodile attack. And yet, which one has the bad reputation? It is interesting. Hippos and bears are seen as cuddly, but they're dangerous. They've got extremely good PR, whereas alligators we just think of as being sort of cold-blooded killers. Nobody's thinking that they're particularly cute or lovely, but weirdly, I'd much rather, well, I don't want to be near either of them, but I'd much rather be with a crocodile than with a hippo. You just stand almost no chance with a hippo. Anyway, that's a whole different story. Which animals would Jem like to run away from? Run away! Run away! Run away! So there are now what they're referred to as Escobar's hippos. And there's more than 70 of them. And they've recently been in the news again as people have been, because they are dangerous animals and they're not indigenous. They have no natural predators in South America. So they're just growing. And therefore there is this plan to perhaps move them out of South America and move them perhaps back to zoos or maybe Africa, etc. I don't have an answer to this stuff. But Narcos, if you like... Doesn't really talk much about the hippos. A lot of other things are going on. But the sheer decadence and sheer corruption, it's like a cancer pouring through in the first three series, Colombia, and in the next three series, Mexico. And if you like, it explains why these countries are in such a big mess. So to give you just a tiny bit of economics, we obviously know that there are some countries that financially speaking are doing very well. The United States of America, China, Germany, Japan. These are just very strong economic countries. And you talk about the developed world, and that's probably mainly Europe and North America. But there's a next group of potentially evolving companies. Now, I've actually mentioned one of them, which is called BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and S is for South Africa. 
And basically, these are the next big things. Now, China has absolutely moved out of this group, but the idea was, and and Russia has absolutely destroyed itself, but the idea is that these are the ones with the next potential. They've got large populations, they've either got large natural resources or a good potential base for growth, etc. So you can see how Brazil might be in there. But BRICS has been talked about for 30 years. Some of them they got right, China, some of them they kind of haven't, Russia. But then, if you like, economists are looking for the next group of countries that might become the next big thing. And so the next one is called MINT, which stands for Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria and Turkey, which is ridiculous because BRICS are very different countries. China actually is low on resources, whereas Russia is very rich in resources, but China's got a great industrial base. Russia, not so much. And it's even worse with Mint. And Mexico is in there. And I remember sort of reading 20 years ago that within 20 years, Mexico's economy is going to overtake Britain's economy. And you know what? That hasn't happened. And largely why? Because Mexico's, it's geographically in a brilliant position. It's got a relatively young population. It's, you know, shows all kinds of innovation. The workforce is relatively low cost, so you can build a good manufacturing base here. But you weren't expecting me to talk about any of this stuff in a podcast to do with Narcos. So why hasn't Mexico overtaken Britain yet? And the answer is because of the crippling corruption, crime and violence associated with all these gangland territories fighting primarily over drugs that's what it is so if you like the narcos series are dramas with tragedy at a national scale in the case of pablo escobar basically he set up the medellin cartel and it was a cartel he if you like if you're going to put aside morals for a moment he revolutionized the drug trade in Colombia by basically getting all these little groups together and saying look if we work together and he did this sometimes through diplomacy but a large amount of the time through extreme violence he managed to get these groups rather than squabbling amongst themselves each producing small amounts into becoming a cartel a massive monopoly mass producing in this case cocaine that is being then sent through mexico and on into the largest market for that drug in the world america which is generally economically financially and politically stable i did use the word generally there so it's not that far away from the producers to the consumers and that's how you end up making billions out of it but of course it's illegal And therefore, what are you going to do against the government that's going to try and stop you? The answer is, you are better equipped, better funded than the, not only the Colombian police force, but even the Colombian army. You literally have more of everything. They were at their peak, quite literally building submarines to get some of these narcotics up to America. They had all kinds of ways to do it. You know, some of them were shipped, some of them were literally flown in light aircraft. They were using, they literally bought a small island in the Caribbean to be used as a drop-off and refueling point for these pilots. But basically, with Colombia having so much pressure from America and its quote-unquote war on drugs that there was quite literally a war in Colombia and you have a criminal I mean when we talk about sort of famous criminals like Al Capone or Blackbeard they never 
had the resources to do this. But flat out, Pablo Escobar basically fought a war, a civil war over drugs with the Colombian government. Now, before this happened, Escobar was trying to sort of portray himself as, as a businessman in inverted commas with this sort of Robin Hood idea. You know, don't look too closely where I'm getting the money from. But in Medellin, which is actually a town, a city in Colombia, you know, he would build sort of hospices and football clubs and things like that. He treated the locals very well, in theory, unless you asked too many questions, in which case you and your family would probably disappear, i.e. be killed. So it's one of these things where doing a deal with the devil can look pretty good on the surface, but the realities are horrifying underneath. And so for a time, he was even, he was never in the government, but he was in basically the Colombian equivalent of parliament. And therefore, that gave him diplomatic immunity. And so, what did he do? He went to America, which is technically the people who wanted to actually arrest him. And he took his family to Disneyland. But, whereas I make that sound sort of like quite wholesome, it is worth pointing out that he had many, many affairs and, you know, just did ridiculous, disgraceful things. There is a brilliant book, I guess it's a spoiler, called killing pablo so i guess you can work out what happens to him and indeed it all comes the chickens come home to roost in 1993 but basically there's a moment where he has a sports car a high-end sports car one of his many houses and basically he's got these local colombian models there and they're all told to to strip off their clothes and the first one to run and touch the car gets the car and the girls did that i mean it's just all kinds of horrific decadence and sort of objectification and callous nature and that what i just told you the sort of like the the crazy stuff about disney and the car that's not even in the in the tv series which is why i'm saying they could have gone even further and they didn't so i know i'm sort of creeping into the history but that's what these shows are about and and if you like it's showing in the case of the felix gallardo the diego luna character in the narcos mexico version it's about the rise of the guadalajara cartel and actually interestingly you cannot grow the the cocoa leaf which is how you produce cocaine in mexico they were always basically the conduit between south america and north america but what they were able to do is grow cannabis and that's how he started and there's a really i'm going to say interesting bit showing you how they actually created through sort of various breeding and hydroponics their own version of cannabis that is what the the first part of their step in terms of becoming larger and larger powers within mexico and indeed today right now there will be sadly dozens of deaths across central and southern america that are to do with drugs related violence there are sadly going to be thousands of deaths a year through the drugs related violence and through addiction leading to overdoses etc so it is just a terrible blight if i was to say that evil has a physical presence i'm going to argue it's going to be these narcotics that are destroying lives but the solution for the addicts is obvious it's not to just stick them in prison it's to give them some kind of counseling invariably they're making these poor choices because of something that's happening 
mentally with them, psychologically. And it is interesting that when you ask pharmacologists, they'll say that the addictive tendencies of something like heroin, yes, it you will get withdrawal symptoms, but it's the equivalent of a bad cold for maybe a week. And actually, you would have things like nicotine can linger in your system for a How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. As long as something like heroin, for example. So why don't these people kick it? And the answer is because they're trying to numb some kind of pain in their lives. It's a, just, it is just an entire story about human misery and tragedy it is so sad so these are really adult really fascinating shows if you haven't seen them and you got netflix you've got six seasons in total of just it's utterly fascinating and horrifying and i so recommend you give it a go if you can stomach it and if you are of the right age okay so Let's now look at the history of this stuff, because you might be going, oh, Jem, you've been doing quite a lot of stuff in the 20th century recently. And it's like, well, yeah, but quite a lot of it actually goes a lot further back. And this is an example of that, because we tend to think of the people of the past as being very different to us. And the reality is 
Probably not. I mean, certainly in terms of basic biology, we're the same as we've been like this. Homo sapiens have been around for about 100,000 years. So our caveman ancestors basically had to have thought in a similar way to us, you know, would absolutely have done the equivalent of caveman swearing under their breath if they sort of stubbed their toe, etc. And the reality about all of these chemical substances is they would have had the same effect on us 10,000 years ago as they would today. Except, obviously, how we extract them and how we use them is different. So I'm actually going to take the three most common ones. I'll make a very brief comment about some of the other stuff and and sort of like bring it into the conversation, but also give you a couple of other bits of history around it. So let's start with opium, which comes from the opium poppy. Now, the oldest opium seeds that we have found, which were actually carbonized, put in a fire, so therefore obviously interacted with with human beings, are from 5000 BC. So they are a little over 7000 years old. So that shows you how long we've been interacting with the opium poppy. And we can tell that the first forms of cultivation were about 3,400 BC. So again, that's more than 5,000 years ago. That's older than writing. So we've got no idea. And what's interesting is the opium poppy was so good at relieving pain, it was cultivated kind of everywhere in Europe. There are some famous places for it today, sort of like very agrarian, sort of like quiet areas of Anatolia and Afghanistan are kind of sort of famous for their opium poppies. But this has been cultivated for so long in so many different places that scientists don't even know where it comes from. We don't know the original source. I will be able to tell you the original source of the other two, but we can't even tell you which continent the opium poppy comes from originally. That's how long we've been using it. To give you an idea, and, you know, finding references to addiction or, if you like, using things recreationally, that's much, much later. But we can at least find the pharmacology going around. To give you an idea, we've got Otzi, who is also known as sort of like that body that was found in the glacier, the frozen body, you know, up in the mountains in sort of Switzerland. He's Neolithic. He's from about 3,300 BC. So just a little after the cultivation of the opium poppy was was discovered. Now, he didn't have that on him, but he did actually specifically have a fungus in a little pouch which had both an antibacterial and a blood clotting property. So basically, it shows you that people have been using these plant-based remedies, and opium or a poppy is obviously a plant, so, you know, just because it's from a natural source doesn't mean it can't necessarily be potent. Arsenic can kill you, and that comes from a plant as well. So you don't have to have a laboratory to create stuff that is potentially addictive or potentially useful in terms of pain relief. And in the case of Otzi, he's using stuff that's you know, really quite sophisticated in terms of potential injuries. He also had tattoos on his bodies that seemed to be points for acupuncture which shows you that the the history of medicine, which I'm not going into on this occasion, obviously a lot of these chemicals have a medicinal purpose, usually first and foremost before they get to any other kind of sort of recreational use. 
To give you an idea, opium is mentioned in one line in the Odyssey. You know, Homer's Odyssey. There's the Iliad about Troy and Odyssey, the story of Odysseus heading back home. So that was written round about the 9th century BC. And so I know I'm jumping around a bit in dates, but in 1500 BC, we got what's known as the Iberius Papyrus. That's harder to say than it sounds, which is actually a papyrus from obviously ancient Egypt. So that's three and a half thousand years old. And actually that papyrus it has got a number of medical remedies. Now, some of it is kind of goofy to us today. But for example, one of the things they suggested was to put honey on a wound. And we now know that honey is mildly antiseptic and obviously would create a airtight seal over a wound, which might be quite useful to stop infections. That's probably not a bad idea, seeing you didn't have modern medicine. But one of the things it says there is to give opium poppy seeds to crying children to get them to calm down. Now, this obviously isn't super potent. The idea isn't to actually give them the milk of the poppy, but you could see why that would reduce pain. Fast forwarding a very, very long way to the year 1897, not BC, we're now in 1897 as in the Victorian era, and I want to talk about Felix Hoffman because all of these natural remedies were in the 19th century beginning to be tinkered with by scientists to say, OK, we know that comes from X plant, but what bit of that plant is actually working well on the human body? And so Felix Hoffman in 1897 was working for the German company Bayer, the very famous chemical company still around today. And he managed to isolate aspirin in 1897 now aspirin comes from the bark of a willow tree and we use it as a painkiller today and basically it's a blood thinner so it can be quite useful with a headache but be careful because if you've got something like a pacemaker thinning your blood can be very dangerous indeed it can also be very dangerous for diabetics so please obviously i am not a medical expert seek all kinds of medical attention and expertise if you're thinking of using any kind of uh, drug in your body a podcast isn't a place to get health advice so anyway he managed to isolate aspirin as a chemical formula rather than just being scraped off willow trees in 1897 then what was remarkable is just 11 days later he managed to synthesize basically opium the part of opium that works is morphine which you've heard of and diamorphine is, if you like, a more concentrated. So it starts acting faster. It has an even better pain-killing effect. You could see why somebody would want to make it stronger and more useful. And he called that synthesized... Diamorphine is the chemical name for it, but he needed to come up with a name. And particularly with Bayer and any chemical company or pharmaceutical company, they need to come up with a name they can actually trademark and sell the name under you know for example something like viagra for example that's not its actual chemical name but you're able to brand that and then you can sell it and make a lot of money and in this case felix hoffman just 11 days after basically synthesizing aspirin he synthesized heroin 
So Heroin started off as a brand name from Bayer. Nowadays, of course, Bayer is absolutely not using that brand name and they absolutely distance themselves from it and they aren't the ones making the heroin. But that all that is is synthesized improved morphine. Now, the side effect of that, and indeed right now in America, there is this opioid epidemic which is destroying lives and causing all kinds of problems. Because the thing is, they're very good at killing pain. But the other problem is, they are addictive. And trying to get off that addiction can be extremely hard for people. And so, if in doubt, don't do it. I actually had some real pain, probably about three years ago, I'm going to say. Maybe, I don't know, two years, whatever. But the point is, I was actually given, it was codeine, which is a which is an opioid from that family now it's a more mild version and i flat out refused to take it i would rather have had the pain because i don't know if i'm going to get addicted to the stuff and i certainly read enough about it to see the horrors of this stuff and so i had a really miserable time for a while but i guess i'm pleased that i well i made a choice okay and indeed if you're in, in really insufferable pain and something like heroin or morphine would be used for somebody like terminal cancer where their body is racked with pain and they just need some kind of relief from that i absolutely get it but it's a personal choice of the patient so there you go that's the entire story of the very first use of opium all the way up to the modern synthesized version of heroin but i of course have to mention i made this a passing reference in the podcast about mercenaries i made reference to the opium wars so this is an example of a genuine war being fought over drugs which is a terrible thing to say and this was by the british this triggered a period in chinese history called the century of humiliation which starts in the mid 1800s finishes in 1949 with the final end of the chinese civil war and the rise of the communist party of china and basically what it was was britain didn't like the fact that um, the, the problem with imperial china in the 1800s is they were still acting like they were the most technologically and powerful country in the world and by 1800 the west had superseded them so rather than playing ball they were still demanding ridiculous concessions from these powers that are actually more powerful than them now i mean that's no way condoning what happens next if you've ever heard the term kowtow i refuse to kowtow to you kowtow is actually mandarin chinese and it's the ritual of groveling in front of the emperor you have to press your head against the floor you have to absolutely prostrate yourself in front of this deity that is the chinese emperor And you could understand how if you were the British-French ambassador in 1800, being forced to do that when you knew that your power was far greater than theirs was pretty annoying. China basically didn't want to trade. It didn't want to give away its secrets of silk, even though those had already been revealed. It had a monopoly on tea. You've heard the phrase, not for all the tea in China. That's because tea originates from China. Why does India have so much tea? The British Empire managed to steal a few tea plants and carefully cultivate them in India. And that's an example of how, actually, if India's going to say, we hated everything to do with the British Empire, you're not going to burn down all your tea plantations, are you? You do earn billions out of it every single year because the British and other countries like drinking tea. So that was an innovation by the British Empire. But in the attempt to try and redress the trade deficit with China... Britain tried to flood, growing it in India, opium into China. Now, 
it was technically legal. You could argue the British government was acting like Pablo Escobar, except it was legal. But it was obviously completely morally wrong, trying to create addicts demanding therefore more demand, which therefore means they can sell more opium. It's still just kinds of wrong. We all know about this. But interestingly, there ended up being two opium wars between Britain and China. On both occasions, the British were winning by a country mile because they had for the time completely modern weaponry and the Chinese were using tactics and weaponry and equipment from basically the Middle Ages. Their fleets were annihilated by ships of the line, ships of the sail. You know, think about things like the era of Nelson and things like the Battle of Trafalgar. The Chinese were still basically using galleys that the Mongols would have tried to have used to invade Japan in the 1200s, so they stood no chance. And so What was interesting about those two wars is on both occasions, Parliament stopped the wars, not because they were losing. And these are the only ones I can find in history where they stopped because they were winning so much and they could tell that they were the bad guys. And so on both occasions, Parliament basically said, we just need to stop. This is all kinds of wrong. How can we possibly sell this to the people of Britain? And so it's it's a very counterintuitive bit of an empire going, I think we might have gone too far. For the record, the price of it was Hong Kong, which is a whole other conversation. But that's an example of how the drugs trade absolutely changed international politics and international diplomacy and people dying at basically the same kind of levels and intensity as nowadays in these sort of like modern narcotics fights and wars. So that's an example of it. But the reality is, while I've talked to you about the opium, I need to quickly go through the other two. Let's go to the coca plant, which creates cocaine, and that was originally chewed or in tea. Now, these were created by a society that was pre-literate, and so we're not quite sure when it first started. There's sort of varying evidence. It's been going for at least a thousand years. But it look, it could be going for the last two thousand years. We just don't have the evidence, but it was well embedded in the culture before we have the conquistadors turning up. And again, we have to move to the 1800s, to get somebody to isolate it and it was in 1855 they found out the cocoa leaf specifically produced this stimulant so if you like the thing about opium is it calms you down it makes you sleepy it dulls the pain cocaine however is a stimulant it makes you work harder and that's what people had been doing for centuries at least in South America, you know, if I'm a farmer and I chew a few cocoa leaves, it's such a low level of it that it may well not get me addicted. But even if it does, there's more cocoa leaves over there. The problem with cocaine is it comes into your system very quickly and it leaves your system very quickly, which basically makes you need more. And with both of these, both opium and also with cocaine, both of them lead to a resistance, a natural resistance. So you need stronger doses, which also leads to more addiction and other kinds of medical problems with the body. Now, if we are talking about the early ages, you know, like let's imagine Odysseus or let's imagine, you know, an Inca, because it's not been synthesized into anything stronger everything tends to be more mild. That's not only the effects, but also the chances of addiction, things like that. And the problem today is we got so good at isolating these things and concentrating these things that, you know, it causes all kinds of of problems there. 
So we know, like I say, with the opium poppy, it's been so well used, we don't even know which con continent it comes from. The cocoa plant absolutely is South American. It comes from the jungles of South America. And then we've got cannabis plant, and that comes from Central South Asia. Think of places like Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, maybe the Uyghur area of China. That sort of area is where the cannabis plant comes from. However, the very first evidence we have of it is from 3,500. 500 BC and that comes actually from Romania there's some burnt remains it seems to have been part of a group ritual rather than somebody individually sort of smoking it on their own or, or, or anything like that and again cannabis has this kind of generally sort of like relaxing effect it's been used for like a medical anesthetic in the past interestingly you can get the same kind of effect by doing certain things i guess i shouldn't be going through them with avocado skins as well so that was the equivalent in something like the aztec culture and so, yes, this stuff has been used. Hemp is another word for it. And indeed, the Royal Navy used hemp as ropes. And the theory is that that's where, in the West, these sort of like these Western navies started doing it. And you're bored on a ship for like months on end. There's nothing else to do. So I might start smoking some of the rope, which I love as an idea. It's kind of crazy, that one. So, look, I, I think hopefully I can sh I've shown you that this obviously goes back thousands of years across the world the current problems of today are absolutely disgraceful i'm not sure they're solvable because people have been using these for so long it shows you it's not going to stop however obviously this sort of destabilizing element of entire governments with criminal organizations with more money than they have which gives them more access to better weapons and all kinds of things it causes all kinds of problems which obviously we do need to try and address I don't have the solutions, but that, if you like, is the history of narcotics across the whole world. Summarized as best I could in about 40 minutes, okay? And complicated subject this time around. I hope you found this one interesting. What are your thoughts? I'm at Gem Deducho on Twitter. Please click subscribe and sort of give us a review, all that good stuff. And as always, another episode coming soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.